All right, good morning again. Uh, I'm still David Soren, uh, the lead pastor here at Federation Church. Uh, as a church, we have been studying the letter of Colossians, and today we are going to come to a part in the letter that is going to sound a bit foreign to our ears as a modern Americans. It might even make you feel a bit uncomfortable. So I just want to say a few things at the outset before we read this passage. What we're about to read is the type of passage that most American churches skip over. Uh, which is one of the reasons that we teach right through a book of the Bible, because if churches just pick out passages that we all want to hear, what happens is we end up shaping a Christianity that looks a whole lot more like our culture than it does actual biblical Christianity. And part of why this teaching might feel hard today is because for some of you, it might just feel unfamiliar. And so we need to start with a truth that we say here multiple times a week. We believe that this is the word of God. We believe that this is the truth. We believe that it is authoritative over our lives. And if this is the word of God, then there certainly are going to be areas where it is different than the predominant beliefs of our culture. And that's true of any culture. Like if you uh, became a missionary to East Africa, and let's say you get there and you find out that polygamy which is marry multiple spouses, typically it's wives, uh, multiple wives, you find out that polygamy is still a thing in rural East Africa, which it absolutely is. And as you're discipling new Christians there, what if one of them came to you and said, no, I absolutely want to have four wives? What would you say to them? Well, you would probably say, I'm sorry, I know that's your culture right here in East Africa in this current time in history, but the word of God is higher than that. And so you need to follow what God's word says. But what about when the word of God challenges our culture? And it says something that's really different than the norm that's acceptable in our current culture. The question is, as Christians, when that happens, do we truly believe that the word of God is higher? Okay, with that being said, let's open this up. Uh, we are on page 806 in the Bibles. There's Bibles under every chair. You bring your own. I'd like everybody to look at this. Uh, we are on Colossians chapter 3, verse 18. Paul's going to talk about marriage today. Now, I realize not everyone in this room is married, uh, but I also realize that even if you're single or divorced or still in high school, uh, that the, for the vast majority of you, marriage is in your future. Uh, and if you can learn this stuff now, uh, all the better, right? And if it's not in your future, there's still much to learn here, I think, about being a servant of Christ. So Colossians chapter 3, where verse 18 says so the small 18, uh, here's, here's what it says. It says, wives... Submit yourselves to your husbands, as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. I think there is so much there to unpack. We are literally only doing two verses today. Okay. There is more in Colossians chapter 3. Actually, if, if you get into your house groups this week, we're going to talk about how you interact with your parents, uh, with kids. We're going to do that in house groups. Then it ends with a slavery passage, which I know this is a bit uh, different for us, but we're actually not going to teach through that slavery portion at the end of uh, chapter 3. And the only reason for that is because Pastor Josh just gave an exhaustive and excellent message on the Bible's view of slavery just a few months ago. And if you're new and you haven't heard that, you can listen to that on our app or our website. It's in our Philemon series. So let's look at this, Paul's teaching on marriage. He starts with a verse that feels so out of place, right, to our Western American postmodern 21st century cultural ears. And Paul says, wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Now, let's ask, what does that word submit 
mean? Because that's the word that makes us feel uncomfortable, right? Submit, first of all, let's be clear, it doesn't mean subjugate. Uh, subjugate, if you don't know that word, just means like uh, to basically be under the control of another person. It doesn't mean obey. It doesn't mean you do any, everything your husband says. It doesn't mean anything remotely like that. Submit is a positional word. It's about following another person. It absolutely is not a word about how much value a person has. In fact, before we go any further into application, um, let me try and clearly explain how this idea of serving, this idea of submission, does not equal inferiority. I saw this explained in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 11 once, and I've always felt like this is really helpful. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3, I'll throw it on the screen for you. Here's what Paul says. He says, but I want you to realize that the head of every man is Christ. Now, we like that part, right? Men, follow Christ, okay? And then he says, and the head of the woman is man. And we read that in the Bible, and we say, I just, that just, I don't like how it's, now some of you are like, I like how that sounds, right? But for most of us, we're like, that just sounds not right. But then what does he say next? And the head of Christ is God. The head, the leader of Jesus, is God the Father. Now let me ask you a question. Is Jesus the Son inferior to God the Father? No, no way. In fact, it's literally heresy to say that Jesus the Son is inferior to God the Father simply because they have different roles and functions. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are all equal, but they do have different roles and different responsibilities. And so in the marriage relationship, there is absolutely an equality, an equality of value. First Peter chapter 3 says that we are co-heirs in Christ, but how we interact with each other and the roles that we play are different. And so we read here that the wife is to submit herself, that is to serve under the godly leadership of her husband as is fitting in the Lord. So why, why does he say that, as is fitting in the Lord? It's kind of like saying, as we normally do as Christians. So what that means is our general posture. So just think about this. Our general posture as Christians and how we relate to everyone is to put our selfish desires aside and to consider one another as more important than ourselves. That's Philippians chapter 2. Now, let me say this, uh, ladies, if, he, if your husband is ever leading you to do something that isn't godly, your first priority is always to Christ, okay? And the word submit in that sentence, and people have really abused this over the centuries, it doesn't mean that the husband is forcing submission upon his wife. Actually, in the, in the Greek, it's a, it's, it's a posture. It's a, it's a woman submitting herself. She's willingly choosing to consider serving and trusting in the godly leadership of her husband. Now, if this still sounds really frustrating to you, if, you, if you're like, this is the most frustrated I've been in church in a long time, I just want to say, remember, I haven't gotten to the husband yet, okay? <laughs> he, he has given an equally hard word. If you feel a sense of discomfort this morning, and maybe you do, and if you do, that's okay. I just want to say that. Sometimes I read the Bible, and I'm like, are you serious? But I trust it's God's word, okay? But it doesn't mean that I don't sometimes feel uncomfortable or challenged by God's word. I want to challenge you, if you're feeling that, to study this more deeply. My hero, I have his bobblehead on my desk, Charles Spurgeon, 
once said, and he actually said this often, that if you ever read a verse in the Bible that makes you feel uncomfortable, that is the very verse in which you should dig into the most. And so if this is even feeling new to you or different to you, I want to encourage you to study this. But I'm going to put on the screen here, here are five chapters that also basically say the same thing. And they go even deeper, some of them, into this topic. Ephesians 5 says the same thing as Colossians 3. 1 Peter 3, 1 Corinthians 11, 1 Timothy 2, Genesis 2. If you, want, if you just feel like, i got to study what the Word says. I've never really looked into it. Take a picture of this, write this down, and it's a way that you can do some more Bible study on your own. Now, if you're a man, and you, so far in this message, have been sitting back in your chair, smiling about how you think you have it easy, Wives, you can now turn to your husband and say, you wipe that grin off your face. <laughs> look to verse 19. It says, husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Now, I want you to know that amazingly, this would have been a surprising and absolutely controversial statement in the ancient culture as women, unfortunately, were given almost no dignity. But Paul writes of husbands loving and cherishing their wives. And then watch what Paul says about what husbands are to do if we go backwards a few pages to the letter of Ephesians. In fact, I actually want you to do that. So if you have your Bibles open, would you go back five pages uh, and go back to page 801. I want you to see this. Uh, in Ephesians chapter 5, uh, starting at verse 21, uh, we're going to see something really similar. But Paul's going to take this into a little bit more depth. That's why I want to read it. So it's chapter 5 of Ephesians, starting at verse 21. He's talking about the marriage relationship, our relationships in general. Verse 21, he says, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Now, again, let me say, I understand. I, I, I'm not ignorant of what our culture is like. I know that this sounds so different to our ears, but I just want to say my commitment to this church since the day that I started it was just to teach what this says. Not to skip it, not to reinterpret it so it sounds better, but to just simply read what it says and try and explain it to you in context and with the connecting scriptures. Even if it's really hard for me to stand up here and talk about it, that's my commitment to you, and that is my commitment to God. So, verse 21, it says, submit to one another. So what that means is that every Christian, every imitator of Christ, wives and husbands are doing some form of submitting. Now, there still is that functional role of godly leadership in the home by the husband. That's what verse 24 was all about. But submission, as it relates to sacrifice, as it relates to servanthood, that is for everyone. Now, husbands, notice how Paul clarifies your role, or future husbands. Notice what your role is going to be. This is verse 25. Husbands, you are to love your wife as Christ loved the church. How did Christ love the church? Oh, that's right. He died for it. He died for it. He literally gave his wife, his life for his wife, the church. And so husbands, you are to love your wife, that woman sitting next to you for many of you. You are to love her so deeply. You are to cherish her 
and listen to her like she is the most special person on the planet. You are to serve her so abundantly. You are to put her first so often. You are to sacrifice for her so much that you would die for her like Christ died for his bride, the church. That is how you are supposed to treat your wife as a Christian man. Now look, this is where it begins to come together. Ladies, would you follow a godly man who treated you like that? That's what Paul is talking about. Okay, so then what does it mean when he says in these verses that the husband is the head of the wife? Now, if you study this passage and you study all those ones that I gave you earlier, you actually cannot escape this idea of headship in the scriptures. Even if you've never heard it before in one of those trendy church marriage series that they all do and then conveniently leave out these passages. So what does it mean? I think it'll make more sense if we just keep reading in the word. So let's go back. I want to start at 25 again. Ephesians chapter 5. So we're still in Ephesians. In 25, he says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Well, how? He's describing what Christ did first here. He said, To make her, the church, holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church, without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. So, contextually, when we read that husbands are the head, what does that mean? We can't take this out of context because it doesn't mean that husbands decide everything and they decide everything. It doesn't mean that at all. Really, contextually, when the head is described, we get two descriptions of what it means for the husband to be the head of the wife. Here is the first description. We see, this was verse 25, that the husband is the chief sacrificer. He is the one in the family that sacrifices the most. Now, this is interesting because I think in history, usually it's the wife who's the one who sacrifices the most for the family. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says it is the husband who is meant to be the chief sacrificer in the family. Like Christ, we are to imitate him in laying down our lives for the family. And what that means is we should be the first, at minimum, to volunteer. doesn't mean we do it all the time. doesn't mean we have to do it. But we should essentially be the first to volunteer to do the hard work. We would be the ones who would sacrifice to make the hard phone call, to take responsibility. We would be the first to suffer. That we would be the first to apologize. We are the chief sacrificer. Men, I urge you, study the life of Christ. Read the Gospels. Look at Jesus. He is strong. He is bold. And yet he doesn't walk around demanding that the disciples do things. Okay? When you look at Jesus he's loving, he's kind. This is why Paul says in our Colossians verse, men do not ever be harsh with your wives. That's not godly leadership because it's not leading like Christ led. Jesus is strong, and yet he, what else? He's sacrificial. He's a servant leader. He's washing the feet of his disciples. And even though he is strong and bold, what is it that convinces so many people to follow him? It's his love, it's his sacrifice, it's his servanthood that compels people to actually follow. So if we're going to talk about headship of man being the head of the wife and all that stuff in the scriptures, the first thing we get contextually is that man is the head. How? Let's not take this out of context and, says, well, and say, oh, I get to decide. No, it's described as man is the head as the chief sacrificer. 
What's the second thing we see in context? Well, that's verses kind of 26 to 28, and we see that the husband is the head in the realm of spiritual leadership. And that doesn't mean that the wife or the mother doesn't spiritually lead her family as well or spiritually influence her family. She absolutely does and should, but we see that men take this role of spiritual leadership. Like Christ does for the church, the husband is to wash his wife, his family, with the word, helping her grow. And this is where we see it in Ephesians later, if you keep reading, extended even to the family. So look at Ephesians 6, 4. So chapter 6, verse 4. It says, fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. And so let me just say this, men, whether you are a father now or you might be one in the future, I just want you to know how impactful your spiritual leadership is. One of the most remarkable uh, statistics I've ever seen in ministry, and just as a preface, I'm going to say this is so anecdotally true in my own eyes, my own ministry, is we know that in a family, when the mother is the first in the nuclear family to accept Christ, she's the first one in the family to become a Christian, we know that 17% of the time, the rest of the family then comes to Christ. Now check this out. When the father is the first one in the family to accept Christ and become a Christian, we know that 93% of the time, the rest of the family comes to Christ. That is absolutely incredible. Well, what is that? Men, that means God has made you in such a way that you would have absolutely incredible spiritual impact on your family. But guys, it starts with you. Okay, it starts with you, not looking to your wife, but it starts with you getting more and more serious about your own walk with God. And that every day that you are in the word, and that every day that you are talking to him, and then leading your family in this area. Right? To look at your family and say, no, we can't do that today. We're, guys, we're going to church. That we're, we're going to start reading the Bible together as a family. We're going to start praying together. You're, you're leading. Uh, by the way, let me say this. I know that this message, this passage in Colossians and Ephesians, I know even more than a lot of other messages we do, it raises a lot of what-if scenarios. Like, maybe some of you in your mind right now are going, yeah, but what if my husband is, or what if in my situation, and I just want to say this is why we preach the gospel of house groups all the time in this church. So what you want to do is you want to take your questions to house groups this week, and you want to let the body of Christ help you apply the word of God to your situation. And my prayer is that so many of you are willing to try something different with your marriage, right? Because marriage in America, we can just almost give it a failing grade as it is. I pray that you're willing to try something different because the default for most of us has just been that we ourselves, we want to be on top, if we're honest. We want to be in charge. We want to get our way. And we would like the other person to just serve us more. I mean, seriously, when I think about it, I think a huge majority of the disappointment that we feel in marriage, and maybe you just feel disappointed in your marriage, a huge majority of the disappointment that we feel in marriage comes from feeling that the other person isn't doing enough, right? If they would just only help around the house more, right? If they would only want to be intimate more, if they would only want to just actually talk more in conversation, if they would only just pick up their socks, right? Whatever it is. But notice how 
we think our marriage will change in each of those different scenarios. We are thinking, if only they would change, then my marriage would get better. But that's not how God gave us instructions to improve our marriages. God does not want us on top, looking down on our spouse, saying, if only you would change, then we could be happy again. You will never improve your marriage that way. That will just drive you crazy the rest of your life. But what is God's way? See, in God's way, if this is you and this is your spouse, in God's way, marriage is flipped. right? A Christian, a biblical view of marriage, I would say a right-side-up version of marriage is where we, as a Christian, that we come under, that we each come in our own way to submit, to follow, to serve, to sacrifice. All, those are all of the biblical words we get about marriage. And we do that. Why? Well, not only because God tells us to in his word, but we do that because that's how God treated us. See, the main story of the New Testament is really about the covenant that Jesus makes with us. And often that covenant is described in a marriage relationship. Uh, Jesus is the groom in the New Testament, and often the church, us, we are called the, the bride. And so here's the deal. Our earthly marriages are meant to be a reflection of our heavenly marriage. And so if we just look at these tough passages, and we read through the five or six chapters that talk about us, and we say, oh no, that just, that's not right. That can't be right. We need to each equally get our way. If we do that, then we're going to be walking away thinking that marriage is supposed to be about fairness, or that marriage is supposed to be about our happiness. But biblically, marriage is a reflection of how Christ treats us. And our marriages just will not reflect him if we're each thinking about how we can get our way, or how the other person can make us happy, because Jesus never thought that way. Our earthly marriages are meant to be a reflection of his sacrifice, of his love, of his forgiveness, of his commitment. I mean, listen, when you're at your wedding and you're doing your vows and you're looking your spouse straight in the eye and you're saying, I will love you for richer or for poorer, in sickness and in health, for better or for worse, till death do us part. Why do you say that? Do you know where that comes from? We say that because those words are a reflection of our marriage relationship with Jesus and how he treats us. That despite seeing all of our flaws and all of our continued sin, because even when we enter into a relationship with him, guess what? We continue to just fail him and sin against him. And despite all of that, how does he treat us in this marriage? Well, the Bible says that he comes under us and he sacrifices his life for us. And he allows us through our faith to come into a relationship with him where he will never leave us and he will never forsake us despite our continued imperfections. And by the way, if you want to know more about what that's like to have a relationship with Jesus, I urge you, come talk to our follow-up team after the service. Again, they'll be in the front right after the service. But listen, in this culture, where no one seems to commit to each other anymore, and if they do, it's rare that they even stay together. 
Can you see, Christians, how we could look different if we flipped our marriages right side up? Can you see how we would look different if we acknowledge that the purpose of marriage is not to go find someone else who will make us happy, but the purpose of marriage is to find someone else to make happy and to serve them and to give our lives for them and to love them unconditionally like Christ loved us. Can you see, church, how if we flipped our marriages, we would actually make a marriage? When marriage goes from each person thinking about what they can get to each person thinking about what they can give, then the marriage actually thrives and God's way actually works. And I just think, what if, Renovation Church, what if we live this out? What if your friends and your neighbors, when they come over to your house, they see you not gossiping about your spouse, not complaining about your spouse, but they see you trying to outserve each other. They see you trying to outsacrifice each other. What would they think? And what would they think about Christ? What if our family members and our, and our friends, what if as they observe our relationship over the years, what if when they see us fight and argue, which we will, because guess what, we're human beings. What if when they see us in our rough patches, they see that we still love each other, that we don't give up on each other, and we still give grace to each other, and we stay together. Why? Because that's how Jesus treated us. What if they saw that? What would they think of Christ? That's why we serve each other. That's why we come under each other, because that's who Jesus was to us. What if we could reflect that? And I'm just telling you, we can. We can. But it starts with trusting his word. And it starts with trusting in his ways. Let me pray. Lord, I just, God, I thank you. uh, I thank you for this hard word. But I pray, God, you would give us the strength to trust in it. Lord, it is so difficult uh, to humble ourselves in any relationships, especially in marriage. But Jesus, we just pray uh, for the strength and the grace to reflect you, that we would look like you in our marriages. And that even to a watching world, that we would look like you and they would see you by how we treat each other. Lord, we just love you so much. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, we, uh, we are at the end of our uh, service for the day. I do want to say something uh, before you head out. If you've been thinking uh, about getting baptized, uh, we are having another one next week and another one about a month after that. The baptism info meeting is today. Uh, Pastor Josh is right there in the back. He's waving at us right now. There he is. Um, he's leading that meeting in like one minute. You can meet him. He'll be right around the corner by the office door. If you want to learn more or you want to sign up, that's a great 10, 15 minute for meeting for you to join uh, today. And then next Sunday, we will be back here, and it's a baptism Sunday. So be here for that. All right. Thank you so much. Have a great day.